All right, let's get into this. Uh, we're talking about traveling light, and the whole idea of this lesson is forgiveness. And so we'll just briefly uh, review where we were. Of course, we're talking about overpacking, and that's the idea of God never intended us to carry unforgiveness in our hearts. And so we talked about the offense, first of all, and then we talked about our response to that offense. And of course, Ephesians chapter 431 gives us basically exactly how we ought to respond to any situation, but especially a situation with our spouse. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And we went through what each one of those things meant. And then we talked, we got into number two, which was lightening your load, uh, we talked about the idea that some people think that forgiveness is just stuffing it into a corner somewhere and pretending like it didn't happen, and that's not what it, that's not what it is at all. Uh, Luke chapter 17 and verse 3 and 4 says, Take heed to yourselves if thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him, and if he repent, forgive him, and if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. So we said that the three ways to respond to uh, any offense or anything like that is, first of all, with rebuke, but secondly, is repentance. And we started into this last week. I don't think we got very far into that one. So this is what we'll pick up with this week. But Matthew chapter 5 and verse 23 and 24 says, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come offer thy gift. Uh, Matthew 18, 15, moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear, hear thee, thou hast gained a brother. And that's, look, this is just good across the board. This is great um, um, doctrine, if you, would, if you will, in a church, let alone in a marriage. Um, if you have ought against your husband or ought against your wife, go talk about it. You can't just push it in a corner and pretend that it didn't happen. So rebuke is the first one, but then the second one is repentance. And I, I mentioned this, but you've heard, you've heard it said before that when you forgive, you set two people free and you realize that one of them was you. Uh, and that's, you know, the, the second part of that statement is definitely true. When you forgive someone, you release yourself from the acid of bitterness, uh, and I mentioned this last week, I think, but, you know, even if that person never repents or asks for your forgiveness, uh, as, as we looked at earlier, forgiveness isn't an option for a child of God. We are commanded to forgive as we've been forgiven. In fact, turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. <clears throat> we've been kind of using that as our, as our base passage because there's so much in there. Ephesians chapter 4, 5, 6, but Ephesians chapter 4 in verse 32 is really what everything hinges on. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. You know, we, we tend to skip over that first sentence, and be ye kind one to another. Boy, sometimes the gloves come off, and you'll just say anything and everything that comes to your mind. If we were kind to each other, there would be a whole lot less need for forgiveness in the first place. But we skip over that, and oh, we need to forgive, you need to forgive me. But if we're just kind to each other, you know, act civil toward each other. I just, I thought, I thought this was so funny. Years ago, uh, Larry Brown, he's, he's a pastor in Iowa. He's been, he preached around the country for a lot of years, and he's still doing some preaching. I guess he's getting older now, but um, 
he preached a message on, you know, husband-wife relationship, and the title of the message was Treat Her Like a Dog. And the whole point of his message is, you know, you're so nice to your dog. You know, oh, you're such a good boy. Come here. Who wants a treat? You know, who's a good boy? All this kind of stuff. And then you turn around and yell at your wife, you know. He said, you just need to treat her like a dog sometimes. We treat our dogs better than the way we treat each other. And that's, you know, that's a, the kindness. Kindness. That's what we're talking about. So for, for a true relational restoration to take place, the offender does need to repent. And that's, I mean, that's just what it comes down to. And we see that in our relationship with God. Uh, the Bible tells us that God's posture toward us when we sin is that he's ready to forgive. He says that in Psalm 86 in verse number 5. For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. But it's not until we confess our sin. We have to agree with God that what we did was a sin. And by basically that's what repentance is, is agreeing with God that we are sinners and that we have sinned in this thing and that we can receive God's forgiveness and have a fully restored relationship with him. That's what he wants to have with us. Why wouldn't we want to have that with others? You know, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, and I, I say this all the time. We use this for, uh, to help lead somebody to Christ because I think it fits perfectly with somebody that's not saved. But 1 John was written to Christians. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All it takes is confession. You confess that, he's ready to forgive us. Sometimes even someone who has betrayed their spouse will take an attitude of, you know, well, you, you know, look, I'm back and you better forgive me or it's your fault if our marriage doesn't work out. Yes, the Bible does command us to forgive, but there also is a command that we have to repent. Even if the other spouse does forgive, a proud, non-repentant attitude by the spouse that did the sinning, that did, I mean, it doesn't even have to be an affair. I'm just saying, you know, um, cannot receive the forgiveness that's necessary for that relationship to be completely restored the way that it needs to be until there is not only repentance, but also forgiveness. And not only forgiveness, but also repentance. Both of those have to be there. There has to be a humble remorse over having committed sin against your spouse and a changing of your mind that I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that this does not happen again. And I know the ultimate sin in a marriage is having an affair and all that, you know. Uh, and, and yes, that certainly covers all of those things. But I'm just talking about the little things, the day-to-day -day things that we do uh, that, you know, oh, I'm sorry, or oh, you know, I didn't mean to, or whatever else. And then no desire to change, no plan to change and, and go on. But um, this, and, and that's what I'm saying, it's, it's not only true when we talk about the large offenses in marriage. It, it applies to all the little ways um, you know, if I'm harsh or belittling to my wife, um, I, I, ne I never repent for it. I never genuinely apologize with remorse over how I hurt her. Then it's just going to continue and probably just going to get worse. And just gradually uh, that relationship is going to be broken down, even if she constantly forgives me, even if she constantly just, you know, lets it roll off as if it didn't happen. It's going to break down our relationship over time to the point where nothing is left if there's never repentance. So uh, most of us don't know how to ask for forgiveness. We hope to toss out a quick, I'm sorry if I was wrong. You know, how many times have we done that? Well, I don't think I'm wrong. So, you know, I don't want to make sure there's nothing there. So I'm sorry if I was wrong, you know, um, or we go a little out of our way to, to make up for it by doing a little bit of something extra or something like that. But to receive forgiveness, we have to humble ourselves and actually ask for that forgiveness. 
Now, you have these in front of you, the seven A's of confession, but, you know, um, these, these, these actually work wonders with anything, any kind of relationship that we have, um, but <clears throat> we can use these things to check our own sincerity in, in conveying repentance. So let's go through these things. The first thing, the seven A's of confession is alter your behavior. You're never going to be perfect, but if you're genuinely sorry, then you're going to change your behavior. If you're genuinely sorry, then you're going to do everything you can, do everything in your power not to do that thing again. If every single day you have to ask forgiveness for the same thing seven times like he's talking about, then you're not probably really repentant because you're not going to keep doing it. You're not going to keep doing it. Alter your behavior. Without real change, there's a question on whether or not there was really repentance in the first place. Isn't that what we say about salvation? right? There should be evidence of salvation. If you're saved, you ought to act like it. You ought to look like it. You ought to talk like it. You ought to, you know, everything. You ought to act like a Christian. There ought to be fruit. So if you don't ever alter your behavior, then that, that, that calls into question the repentance. Second thing then is to address everyone involved. And what I mean by that is only talk to the people who are part of the problem or part of the solution. Uh, we can involve so many people in these things that everything gets muddy. Here's another one. Avoid if, but, or maybe. Saying, I know I yelled at you, but this and this and this happened, and that's why I did it. If you avoid those things, that, that's, that's one of the A's of confession. And really, that's just blaming the other person. When you say, I know I did this, but you also, that's not real confession. That's passing the blame. I wouldn't have done this if you didn't. It's exactly what and uh, 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 if, but, or maybe is. I'm sorry if I offended you. It's not a real apology. Here's another one. Admit specifically what you did. <clears throat> if you know that you hurt your spouse, but you can't understand exactly what you did, then you need to ask the Lord for wisdom and, and, and um, you know, try to look at it through your spouse's eyes. And if you still don't see it, ask your spouse. Ask a godly counselor for help. Um, but admit specifically what you did. Look, if I hurt you, I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry for saying whatever you said, right? So uh, admit specifically what you did. Acknowledge the hurt. That's the fifth A of confession. You, you ought to express sorrow for your sin. Um, <clears throat> if it doesn't make you sad that you hurt your spouse, it's going to be difficult for him or her to believe that you want forgiveness rather than just a pass on what you've done. So acknowledge the hurt. Number six is to ask for forgiveness. Some of the hardest words are, I'm sorry I was wrong. Um, you know, uh, there's easier ways to say it, right? I apologize. People say, I apologize, because it's easier than saying, I'm sorry I was wrong, right? I forget where we heard it, but somebody said that in a message one time, and uh, <clears throat> so we started, you know, anytime, instead of saying, I'm sorry, you say, I was wrong, you know? Um, or, or both, you know, I'm sorry, I was wrong. So instead of, oops, sorry, you know, we just say, oh, I was wrong, you know. It, it, it puts the blame where the blame belongs, on the person that did it, right? And that's what this is talking about, asking for forgiveness. Those, those words, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Those words, when they're spoken in sincere humility, are very powerful in restoring a relationship. And the last one is accept the consequences. If there is any way that you can make restitution, then do it. You should be trying to do it. Don't demand that your spouse pretend that nothing has happened. 
where trust has been broken, whether that's in a big way or a small way, uh, your spouse may forgive you, but they need evidence that they can trust you again, right? I mean, uh, and, and I don't want to get off on a rabbit trail, but how many times have you heard about a spouse that went and had an affair and, oh, they came crying back and I'm sorry, I'll never happen again. And okay, well, great. I trust you then. If nothing's going to happen again, then everything just continues on like normal. And then, you know, six months later, you found out they're having an affair with another person, you know, and, and so you don't blame a spouse who has a hard time believing somebody who's been, you know, caught, not, not even just in a fair, but in a lie or in anything, you know, prove to me that you're, that you're, that you've changed, you know, and if that's the case, then one of the A's of confession is accepting the consequences, and if that means that, well, you know, my wife wants me to, you know, be home by five o'clock, and if I'm not, you know, this, whatever, she wants me to track, you know, wants my phone to have the track on it so that she knows exactly where I'm at at all times, that's fine. I'll accept the consequences. If that's what I have to do to be able to earn your trust back, I'm the one that broke the trust in the first place. So be willing to accept the consequences. Once an offense has been confronted and apologized for, then the next step brings us to uh, the third thing. So we said rebuke. Um, we said <clears throat> um, repentance. And then the third thing is forgiveness. One of the best-known prisoners of the Nazi concentration camp era, I guess you could say, is Corrie Ten Boom. She was a Dutch Christian that helped her family hide from the uh, hide the hide Jews from the Nazis, and um, <clears throat> because of that, she and her father and her sister were arrested and sent off to these Nazi concentration camps. And just the horrors of the things that she went through. Uh, if you've ever read through her book or her story or anything like that, but. Her dad and her sister were actually killed in these concentration camps. She made it out alive. And years after that, and, and four years after that, she uh, spoke in a lot of different places about being able to forgive these Nazis for what they did to her and to her family. And, you know, Christ has made all the difference in her heart, and, you know, you ought to forgive and everything else. And she was giving her testimony <clears throat> in a church about the love and the forgiveness of God, and this guy walked up to her after the, um, after the service was over, and she recognized this guy immediately. He was one of the guards at the Ravensbrück concentration camp, and she recoiled. I mean, she, she recognized him. She knew exactly who he was, and he reached out to shake, his, to shake her hand, and she said, he said, that was a fine testimony, how good it is to know that our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And she just, she just kind of stood there frozen. She didn't know how to respond. She knew that she ought to forgive him. Um, and he said, you know, you mentioned Ravensbrook, and I was a guard there. But since that time, I've become a, a Christian. And I wanted to come up here to ask you uh, and to hear it from your lips that you've forgiven me as well. He said, Fraulein, will you forgive me? She stood there for a second, and, and she later, she described that moment. She said this, I stood there with a coldness clutching my heart, but forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. She told how she reached out to shake his hand, and the moment their hands touched, she said all of that animosity, all that coldness just went away. And that's exactly what forgiveness is all about. You may think that you can't forgive your spouse because you have no feelings of forgiveness. Forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is not an emotion. Forgiveness is a choice of the will. I am going to forgive that person. 
And it may take time for your emotions to follow and for you to really feel like you have let those things go. But that's what forgiveness is all about. When there's been abuse or an affair or, you know, just deeply entrenched patterns of purposeful hurt in a marriage, uh, you may need the help of a, of a godly Christian leader or a counselor. Never hesitate to get it. But even the goal of counseling should be for reconciliation and forgiveness. Uh, remember that God designed marriage as a picture of the gospel. And we see that there in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 31 and 32. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So this picture is not complete without forgiveness. So let's get to the last thing then, packing well. Have you ever known someone who is a really good packer? I've actually gotten to the point where I can pack a car pretty well now. We've done so much traveling. When we, when we tra I traveled for two years in the singing group, and we had uh, 10 people that were with us. And we had, a, we had a little trailer, but it was not that big. And so we got to the point where you literally had to Tetris everybody's, you know, suitcases and everything else to fit them in there just right. And we got pretty good at it, you know. Uh, and then we traveled on deputation, and we had all the stuff that we had to carry with us for an entire summer. We didn't, we didn't come back the entire summer, so we had to have everything with us. And uh, all we had was the car. You know, we didn't have a trailer that we pulled behind it and all of that kind of stuff. So you learn how to pack well. And, you know, some people, there's a video out there on YouTube, and I, was, I thought about maybe bringing it in and showing it to you today, but there's a video out there on YouTube, this time-lapse video of this guy who has literally just a little carry-on bag, and he packs everything that he needs in that bag for a whole week. And just, I mean, the way that he rearranged everything in that bag is just, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable how much stuff he fit in this bag, but it's all by, based on the, the way that he packed it, you know? Um, being a good packer takes skills that you get through practice and everything else. And it's not just about getting everything in the suitcase. It's also about knowing what to leave out. Uh, if you're going to pack for a week, you're not going to put three pairs of shoes in that suitcase, or you're not getting anything else in there. So you have to know what to leave out as well as how to pack everything. So we find a list of, of what you could think of as maybe a relational relationship packing skills in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32. Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. The first thing that we could say is leave the scoreboard. Leave the scoreboard. If there's anything that you do not have room for in your relational luggage, it's a scoreboard, right? Uh, they take up a whole lot of room. But you see, when it, it, when it comes to offenses and forgiveness, there are two kinds of people. There are scorekeepers and there are grace givers. We tend many times to be scorekeepers. Well, you did this and this and this, so score's only three to one. I still have two more things that I can do to you before we even caught up to all of those things, right? Um, the, Peter, in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 21, Peter started out as a scorekeeper. He, um, he, right after Jesus taught his disciples about forgiveness, Peter asked the question that we all remember. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? You can almost hear that incredulous tone in Peter's voice. Seven times? I'm keeping count here. Do I have to forgive him seven times? It says if he thought that he was suggesting the, the extreme limit of forgiveness. How many times should we forgive him? Seven? 
I mean, that's a lot, seven times, right? That's, that's kind of the idea that Peter, he wanted to keep track like a scorekeeper at a basketball game. He wanted to say, I'll forgive him up to a certain point, but once you cross that line, I'm not giving you that forgiveness anymore. Jesus' answer changed the game. Look what he says in the next verse. Jesus saith unto him, I say unto him, Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven. If I could paraphrase what Jesus is saying here, forget the scoreboard. Who's going to count to 490 times that you've forgiven somebody for the same offense? Not for everything, for the same offense, 490 times. Peter, don't be a scorekeeper. Be a grace giver. If you've read First and Second Peter, that you know, you know that Peter did become a grace giver, and he, he learned it from Jesus. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 21, For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps, who did no sin. Neither was guile found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bare our sins and his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. No one wins when you keep score against your spouse. You don't win, and your spouse certainly does not win. So, Forget the scoreboard. But the second thing, and this goes right along with it, is give grace. Give grace. If you want to be a good forgiver, you have to learn to be a grace giver. Give grace. Give it constantly. Give it persistently. Directly following that verse that's telling us to put off anger in all forms in Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32 gives us kind of a short list. Be kind one to another tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Three ways to give grace from Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32. You have that in the book right in front of you, but kindness. Kind is from the Greek word trestos. It means employed, useful, goodness, or gracious. It gives the idea of busying yourself to help other people. That's what kindness is all about. New Testament kindness isn't, isn't just the absence of meanness, it's the presence of useful goodness, employed useful goodness or graciousness. That's what kindness is all about. That means going out of your way to do something nice for somebody else. Not just not being mean, but actually being kind, actually trying to do good. But then also tenderhearted. You can read how, yeah, I don't even know how to pronounce that word there. It looks like esophagus, but I know that's not the word. But uh, that's the Greek word that tender-hearted comes from. That means well-compassioned or sympathetic or pitiful. It means that you keep a soft heart toward other people, even those that have hurt you. And that's hard. That's hard. When somebody hurts you, the last thing you want to do is be nice to them back. The last thing you want to do is be tender-hearted toward them back. But it's not a choice. It's a command. It's what we've been commanded to do. And then, of course, the last thing that it says is to be kind to be tender-hearted and to forgive. That's, that's from the word charizomai, and it means to grant us a favor, to grant us a pardon or a rescue. That very definition of what forgiveness is underscores that it's a voluntary act rather than a reflexive act um, or rather than just a reflex of our emotions. Forgiveness is something that we make a choice to do. These, they're not single actions. They're all skills, and we have to repeat them over and over and over and over and over and over until we get good at doing those things. 
But you think about it. These things are things that we're commanded to do. And the more you do it with your spouse at home, the more you're going to be willing to do it with other people. And by the way, sometimes we get to the point where we're so willing to do that for everybody else except for somebody in our own family. You know, the hardest thing, the, the worst thing for me to do is for me to forgive my brother when he does something to me and forgive Nitin when he does something to me, but then my wife does something and I can't forgive her. She lives with me. I can't forgive her, right? How, how sad that we get that way in our relationships with our husbands and our wives, you know? But that's many times how it starts. Yes? Yeah, that too. And I've dealt, with, I've dealt with many, many people who, you know, how can God forgive me when I can't even forgive myself? Well, you, you have to. It's, it's not an emotion. It's a choice. And if God chose to forgive us, then we should easily be able to forgive ourselves too. We mentioned at the beginning of this lesson that, that no couple is perfect. Uh, every person has his faults. Every person has her faults. And, and most often those tendencies don't disappear overnight. Now, we ought to be doing everything we can to better ourselves so that we don't keep causing these problems in, in our relationship. But practicing forgiveness requires the patience to do it again and again and again and again. But it brings freedom into your marriage when you're, when you're both not carrying last week's and last month's and last year's baggage of unforgiveness. Uh, also remember that God continues to give you the single resource that you need to forgive, and that's grace. God forgives me every time I ask him for forgiveness. God forgives me every time I do something against him. And look, he's perfect. We shouldn't be sinning against him. It's one thing to sin against an imperfect human. It's another thing to sin against a perfect God. And yet God still gives me grace. Does your spouse repeatedly offend? Yeah, because we all do. And none of us are perfect. But does your God repeatedly give grace? Absolutely. Not only grace to the person that's done something wrong, but also grace to the person who needs to do the forgiving. And that's what we ought to have in our relationship. So even though neither one of us are perfect, we have to determine that if there's one thing that we're going to be good at in our marriage, it's that we're going to be good forgivers. And like I said, often in these, in these lessons, all of these things spill outside of the marriage and into everyday life. We ought to be good forgivers with everybody. Not just in our marriage, not just within our family, not just within our church. We ought to be good forgivers with everybody. Um, when you become a good forgiver, the journey is lighter. You pack a whole lot lighter and you can get around a whole lot easier with forgiveness. And that's what this lesson's about. And, and a, good, a good reminder, a good lesson for each one of us. Let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for how good you are to us. And thank you for the time that we can spend together. I pray that you'd help each one of us, not just in our marriages, but in every aspect of our life, to be good forgivers, and that we'd be willing to ask for forgiveness when we've offended somebody else. And God, I pray that you'd help us to be stronger in our relationships, in, in our own families, in our, in our church, and outside into the community, that we could be a testimony of the grace that you've given us. I pray that you'd be able to serve us in the next hour, and we'll thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen.